Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. Hallelujah. And so I want to start today's teaching by reading to you a very important portion of scripture which we sort of ended with the last time, Revelations chapter 4, verse 10 to 11. Revelations chapter 4, verse 10 to 11. The Bible says, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, we ended last teaching, you know, looking at this text and a few other texts. We spent a good amount of time studying the original idea. God had for man at creation. How many of you remember the teaching we did? Where we learned about the original idea of God for creation. And we said that the original idea God had for mankind is for mankind to live in constant fellowship with him. And so when Adam fell, sin entered into the world. And for a time there was a separation between God and man. But we're able to establish that at the basic level, mankind was made to be in perfect communion with God. How many of you remember? Yes, sir. And I said, you can call Eden a perfect picture of God's idea for mankind, where man had connection to God in service and in worship. And now in Revelations, we're seeing John's vision. And John says he's seen the 24 elders bowing towards God, worshipping him. And I remember saying in the last teaching that it's important that they are worshipping God. Because it shows us, first of all, you know, the Bible says that they were casting their crowns. It shows us, first of all, the reality of any creature or creation before God. One of the attributes of God that I taught you is that God is holy. What does it mean to be holy? To be separate. Are you with me? To be separate. That's what it means for God to be holy. He's, he's separate in himself. He's unique. It describes how big and great God is. Sometimes in describing the holiness of God, one might use metaphors like the sun. We're looking at him from afar, he looks so beautiful. But the closer you get, the more unworthy you feel and you burn. Are you with me? One might use metaphors like that. That unless God will have you come to him, you can't come to him of yourself. Because his holiness is what separates him as God. His holiness is what separates him as God. If you have a question, you can drop it in the comment section so that I'll take it after. His holiness is what separates him as God. And the reality of any creature that comes before God that way is what we see the elders doing. They bow. Are you with me? 
they bow. God is so great. They bow. In Jesus, we see an outstretch. If God didn't want us to know him or come to him, it would never have been possible for us. Are you getting what I'm saying? You see the examples in the Old Testament. You know, someone asked, someone sent me a question. I love it for those of you who usually send me questions. It excites me because it shows me you're studying and you want to know more. Are you with me? Now, the person asked, the person was like, but there was this man that died. He was only trying to help God and help the ark. He just said he should catch the ark, but he died. Is that fair to him? I said, that describes to you perfectly the holiness of God. Are you following me? It describes to you the holiness of God. That if you are not holy and perfect as well, you can't come before God. That's why we had no hope unless Jesus made us holy. Please, are you getting what I'm saying? It describes to you the holiness of God. Now, what we see these elders doing is a perfect picture of, of what any creation would do before God. He's holy. And so they are bowing. They are casting their crowns before God. They are casting their crowns before God. But equally as important as them worshipping and casting their crown is what they said. Now, what did they say? Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. It says, for thou hast... Listen, maybe when you used to sing it, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor and power. But I mean, remember that song. You probably didn't think of what you were singing. You probably didn't think about it. But do you know what it means, what they are saying? He said, you are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. You have created all things. For your pleasure they are and they were created. So everything that is created and everything that was created was created for what reason? For the pleasure of God. For the pleasure of God. So all things are created for God's pleasure. So at the root of creation, mankind was created for the pleasure of God as well. Mankind must worship and chase after God with all of his heart. At the root of creation, that's what we see. Because if mankind also had the same type of access to God as these elders did or do, we will see that, that, that worship, that essence in their that, that, that part of their creation that makes them worship God, commune with God. Commune with God. It's easy for us to understand that God communes with, with mankind because we see him as a relational being from existence. Are you with me? He's always existed, existed as a trinity. And so we understand that God is a relational being. It's different from Islam who believes that, you know, their God is single and cannot have relation with, with any other human. We understand that in God's nature. Are you with me? The God we believe, we can understand that he wants a relationship with us. We can understand that he had communion with mankind in Eden because we already see him have relation in the Trinity, in existing as the Trinity. Are you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense to you? Yes, sir. And so mankind at the root of creation was created for the worship of God. For the worship of God. We were made to worship him. 
at creation, this was easy for mankind. Do you understand what I'm saying? This was easy. This was what he was created for. And this has to shape the way you picture things. You know, because at the root of your creation, you were created to worship God. He has to shape how you consider things today. How you place priorities on things. Does it give glory to God? Is it is, is this to the pleasure of God? Are you with me? Does this job give glory to God? Does this relationship give glory to God? Does this friendship give glory to God? Does this lifestyle give glory to God? Are you following me? Listen, some questions are not whether the Bible calls it a sin or not. Sometimes the question to be asked is that does that thing give glory to God? Are you doing something? Some people say the Bible does not say we should not drink. It did not categorically. Does it give glory to God? Do you know what I'm saying? Things become easy in terms of priority. You have plans to travel. Where is the glory of God in it? Do you understand know what I'm saying? Does it give glory to God? That's the most important thing. The sole purpose of the existence of man is to serve God and to do his will. It's obedience, it's consecration to God. And from everything I've taught you between this teaching and the last teaching, it was never hard for mankind to do this before the fall. It was never a struggle. It was an effortless activity. Do you know what I'm saying? It was effortless. It was effortless. You, you Listen, we were never created to... We see genuine obedience to the will of God. I wish... I think I explained it in the last teaching. We see genuine obedience to the will of God in creation. In the last teaching I explained to you, I said... Look at the response Eve gave to, gave to the devil. After the devil spoke, the Bible says that and Eve considered the fruit and looked at it as something desirous for food. So, that was an alien idea to the, to, the, to the creation story. Are you with me? Because mankind had never considered anything outside obedience to the will of God and the pleasure of God. So, until there was external influence before Eve could now say, ah, Okay, this fruit. If God has said it's not to be eaten, she never considered it desirous for food. But at the when the devil, you know, got into the picture, the Bible says she considered it. She looked now it became something that she can think about eating. So it's an alien idea to Genesis. Anything outside obedience, communion, the glory of God, it was alien. They were okay with not eating that fruit until external ideas came. Are you following what I'm saying? They were okay. It was effortless. Their lives were, you know, in the essence of it, communion, worship, obedience, fellowship with God. Are you following me? So when sin came, we begin to see man struggle to do these things that are at his essence. Are you with me? The, the, the connection, the, the reliance on God that man had had. You see, sin brought separation between God and man. Separation. I told you before, man functions best when connected to God. That's what we see. That's how you were created to function. But sin disrupted that. So listen, for the new creation, an opportunity presents itself again. 
Not just for mere whispering of words in devotion, but for men who would stop at nothing to connect their lives to the source and give their lives to God constantly in hours of prayer and study. Are you following me? I did a teaching for the workers. You know, we've been having a workers retreat. I think the teachings are very connected. <laughs> you know, teachings are very, when I was building both of them, I was like, why am I saying the same type of things? Now, I did a teaching for the workers. You know, during the retreat. And hopefully I'm thinking we're going to put it up on the podcast so you guys can be blessed by it when it's re- In that teaching, I explained something very important. One of the things I said is that any you know, for them I was connecting it to service, but it's the same thing because we see service in the in the true construct of, of, of the creation of mankind. Are you with me? But listen, how it applies to you is this anytime you find it hard to pray or devote yourself to the things of God. Or anytime it becomes unbearable and unpleasant to, the, to do the things of God, take it as a sign of the old man. Are you with me? Take it as a sign of what? Of the old man. Take it as a sign of what? The old man. And we know how to put that away. Because communion with God is supposed to be delightful in the true nature of how God created us. It's supposed to be delightful. It's supposed to be what gives us joy. It's supposed to be what we live for. So if for any reason you are feeling different from that, it's a sign of the old man. And you know how to deal with the old man, right? Maybe that's the next teaching we'll do. Okay, I want to do the one about songs first. The reason I want to do the one about songs is that some of you, they will sing song and say, I give you my life. You are like this. I give you my soul. <laughs> Could you please take control? <laughs> Every I'm like... What's wrong with these people? <laughs> so, I, I will do a teaching on it next week so that, <laughs> you know. Then after that, I'll probably do one on the old man. But anyways, like I was saying, communion with God is supposed to be delightful. That's what it is in the true nature of, of, of creation of mankind. It's supposed to be delightful. It is basic to our image in God, to how we were created and why we were created. But today, as in the beginning, something has happened to make, you know, our, our, com- our communion something that is rather a struggle or frustrating. Some people can't give one hour in prayer to God. You'll become frustrating. You know, you'll be shaking. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. I hope nobody knows here anyways because this is the Catholic community. But some of you know that one hour you'll be as if you are as if the world is going to pass away without you. Just two hours in prayer. Hey, hey, you are thinking WhatsApp. When you read the WhatsApp, nobody has still sent you any message. You think you are that important that oh 500 messages, ah, new business contracts. It's a lie. You will not reach the WhatsApp now. No, only one message. And the message is hi. Hey. That's it. You can, you are you just can't give yourself to God and that's the problem as, as in the beginning that's the problem we are faced with today where we're not able to find pleasure in communion with God we don't find it delightful any longer it's a problem it's a problem it's a problem anything that is of God that you find it just check it just is a sign it's a symptom are you with me it's a symptom of something bigger. There's a problem in your heart. You need to fix it, though. 
let me use this opportunity to teach you guys something one of the ways that some of you are letting the devil take advantage of you today is not addressing these issues early enough are you with me is not addressing these issues early enough i want to say this you know as i continue to teach i'll continue to drop very important corrections for you guys you notice that your prayer life is not going how it's supposed to be and then you keep you're keeping it to yourself you don't tell anybody on the community you don't tell me you don't do anything about it it now gets very bad until i have to call you and tell you what is going on listen you are outside of god's plan and structure for your growth in that way do you know that you are outside of god's plan and structure for your growth when i now finally talk to you now say ah sir i was shy that's why what like does this sound well in your ear what he just said so you are shy is why he didn't deal with the problem or sir, i don't want to disturb you you don't want to disturb who? Who should you disturb? Is it not me? <laughs> you don't want to disturb me? You know, let me tell you something. Me and you will stand before God on judgment day. I say, hey, sir, it did not reach me. They did not call me. <laughs> they did not call me. I was available. Lord, check the records. <laughs> Are you with me? I say, angels, let's bring the days. 2022. Let's check direct. They did not call me. Listen, it's my responsibility to be available for you when you need help. That's what it means. If you call someone father, then reach out to him for help. Are you with me? That's what it means. That's what fatherhood is. Unless you don't understand and I've taught you this. So reach out for help. Reach out for... What did I say? Reach out for... Hell. Help. And then for those of you that say, so I'm your daddy and I don't know you. Anyways, enough. What is enough for the wise? My phone number is available. So, alright, let's go on. I just said that in passing. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. Now I need you to pay attention. This is going to help you. This is going to bless you. Anyways, everything is going to bless you in the end. <laughs> but just pay attention. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. The Bible says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, those of you who were in camp meeting last two years, you can easily relate to what is going on here. I've taught you this before. God, who at in sundry times, was the Greek word? Yes. Okay, now all of you are shouting. During workers' retreats, you have no answer. <laughs> all right, polumeros. And then, in diverse manner, what's the Greek word? Polytropos. <laughs> Alright, so, what this means is this. God in many times, polumeros, is gotten from two Greek words. The first one is polus polos, which means many. I would spell that P-O-L-U-S, P-O-L-O-S. Polus polos, which means many, and meros. M-E-R-O-S, which means instances or instances of a whole. So, polymerous means what? Many instances of a whole. Do you get that? That's polymerous. So, God who had sundry times 
And then the other one is diverse manners, which is polutropos from two Greek words, polus, polos, and tropos, T-R-O-P-O-S, meaning modes. So, polumerous means different instances of a whole. So, what polumerous is, I've thought this before, it means it's almost like you have a full picture of something and you begin to see different parts of that whole story. Are you with me? Different parts of that whole picture. So, he communicated different parts of a progressive stories to our fathers, or their fathers anyways, because um, I'm not a Jew, through the prophets. Are you with me? And then, Polutropos, which is the second, means many manners and modes. So, he reviewed different parts of a story in different ways. That's what it simply means. And what are the different ways? We know some, you know, types and shadows. We see many other things like that. So, so what it means, Hebrews chapter 1, is that God, who at in many instances and, in dif and using different methods, has revealed himself to us in the past by the prophets everybody understand that explanation first of all if i go ahead <laughs> is it clear yes sir anybody lost i should come again you are lost okay i'll repeat yes, it now i said god who had sundry times the greek word for sundry times is Polumerous. I'm not going to do the breakdown again. You probably got the breakdown. It's just the understanding. Polumerous simply means, let me give you an idea. How many of you have watched movies that don't start from the story? They give you flashbacks until they get to the story. Until they get to the routine. How to get away with murder. I did not watch it. I saw it in a dream. I don't watch movies. I only pray. <laughs> Anyways, how to get away with murder. Have you watched it? We saw it in the dream, sir. Oh, you saw it in the dream. I love that. I love that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, it's just, if you think of those movies that give you different flashes of a whole movie, that's almost a good idea to understand Polumero. So, it's a full story. Or, you know, it's a, a puzzle, picture puzzle, right? You have parts of the puzzle. But this time, you know, they are pointing to an actual picture. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? That's polumerous. So, in God, at sundry times, it means different instances. God had been giving hints in the Old Testament about something. And then, polutropos is in different methods. Are you with me? Different modes. For example, in the killing of the lamb, God was showing them that somebody is going to be their substitute. Right? In Abraham killing his only begotten, God was telling you that he too would kill his only begotten. In the putting of the blood of the lamb on the lintel to stop the angel of death, God was showing them that their salvation will come by the blood of a lamb, of somebody in the future. Those are methods. Those are modes. Are you with me? Those are different modes. So, God using different methods the first thing is first of all god in different times and then using different methods has revealed himself to his people in the old and then the next verse now says 
He has in these last days spoken to us through who? His son. Hallelujah. Do you get it now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So, so God who had in sundry times and in diverse manners spoken to them in time past through the prophets has in these last days spoken to us through who? His son. Now, the next verse is a true son whom he appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the world. In verse 3, what does he say? He says, who being the what? You sleeping? The of his glory. The brightness of his glory. glory. So, listen. Jesus, in, in, in time past, they didn't have Jesus. God was talking to them in hidden ways, in different methods and modes. Now, the Bible says that he has spoken to us in these last days through Jesus, through his son. He now says, who being the express image, he says the brightness of his glory. What does brightness of his glory mean? It means Jesus is the reflection of the glory of God. Are you with me? An expression. That is, in Jesus, we truly see God glorified. Hallelujah. Are you getting this? In Jesus, we truly see God glorified. So, he's the reflection of the glory of God. Look at the way Jesus spoke about God. John chapter 8 verse 25. John chapter 8 verse 25. The Bible says, Who are you? They demanded. And Jesus replied, The one I have always claimed to be. In 26, <laughs> that, was, that was a good response anyways. <laughs> the, ones are, the one I have always claimed to be. And so it says, I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only that which I have heard from the one who sent me. And he is completely truthful. But they still didn't understand that he was talking about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man on the cross, then you would understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me and has not deserted me. For I always do what pleases him. So you see the, the statements of Jesus. I always do what pleases God. Actually, he made a statement there to refer that he is God. Because he says, I am. And I am is a word used for God. It means I exist. Are you with me? When, when the yes, Bible sir. says, let there be. Be in the Hebrew, is, it's, it's Aya, I think, A-W-A. H-A-W-Y-A something. Oh, yeah, that's the Hebrew word. It means to exist. So, when, I think it was Moses that was asking that when they say, who are you, what shall I tell them? God said, tell them, I am. I exist. So, in different times in the Old Testament, they knew him as different things. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shammah, the, um, the Lord that provides. But we see the full representation of all of those names in Jesus. Are you with me? Now, it's two things. In Jesus, we see the full... See, Jesus was a healer. He was Rapha. He was a provider because he multiplied food. He was everything. Are you getting what I'm saying? He was everything. So, Jesus glorified God. In his speaking, he says, I do the work of he who sent me. He always referred to his father. 
Do you know what I'm saying? He was giving glory to God every single time. In John chapter 17, verse 1 to 4. John chapter 17, verse 1 to 4. I'll give you some time to open that. John 17, 1 to 4. The Bible says, After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give what? Glory back to you. For you've given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So listen, in the death of Jesus, he brought glory to God. Please, are you following me? In everything Jesus did, he brought glory to God. Yes, sir. This was how he's, he reflected, he, he showed the glory of God. He glorified God. In John chapter 5, verse 19, the Bible says, So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what, the fa- what he sees the Father doing. Whatsoever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you'll be truly astonished. You see the relationship, always giving glory to the Father. John 13, 31. John 13, 31. It says, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Do you see that? God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. There's a lot of glory going on there. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of glory in that mix. <laughs> but God is glorified in the Son. So the Son glorified the Father. In the things that the Son did, we see glory given to God. Please, are you following me? Yes, sir. We see glory given to God. So he says. Who being the brightness of his glory. That's what it means. It then says, and the express image of his person. And upholding all things by the word of his power. When he himself had put us in. So he says, Jesus is also what? The express image. Listen, Jesus Christ is the perfect image of God. Are you following me? He is the perfect image of God. The perfect image of the Father. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. The Bible says, In whom the God of this world had blinded, their, had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is what? The image of God. Should shine unto them. So, what does the Bible call Jesus? The image, the image of God. The Bible calls Jesus the image of God, the express image, the perfect image of God. Colossians chapter one verse fifteen. Don't worry, I'll tie it all together. Someone's like, why are we reading all of this text? Colossians one fifteen. What does he say? Who is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of every creature. He says, who is the image of the invisible God? Talking, to, talking about Jesus, the firstborn of every creature. So Jesus is the perfect image of God. Jesus is the perfect Imago Dei. Mm. Are you getting it? Jesus is the perfect image of God. The perfect image. Listen, Adam was created in the image of God, but the Bible also calls Jesus the image of God. Are you with me? Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Is everybody there? Yes, sir. The Bible says, Therefore, just yes. as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those that had not sinned, according to the likeness, the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So, Adam is a type of he who was to come. Who is the person which is to come? Jesus. So, the Bible calls Adam a type of Jesus. So, the similarities between Adam and Jesus is that they were both progenitors. That is, they both started a race of people. That's what it means to be a progenitor. They were both progenitors. The similarities between Adam and Jesus was that they were both progenitors. But the difference between Adam and Jesus was that the Bible calls Adam a type of he which was to come. So, Adam started a race. But Jesus started another race but with greater glory. Are you following what I'm saying? Yes, That's why the Bible calls Adam a type. Because when the perfect has come, then the shadow is no longer the thing. Are you getting what I'm saying? When the perfect has come, then the shadow is put away. Glory. Do you understand what I'm saying? So yes, yeah. mankind yes, was in the image of God at creation. But in Jesus, we see the perfect Imago Dei. And, I, and for those of you who don't know, Imago Dei is the Latin for the image of God. At salvation, the believer becomes a part of a new race. A new race. At salvation, there wasn't just the payment of sin. There was also a spiritual restoration of man. God was creating a perfect race. First of all, God created a race in Adam. Adam fell and that race fell. But Jesus came to start a new race. Are you understanding? So, he didn't just come to die. He also came to become an example for us all. Are you getting what I'm talking about? This is important. I don't want you to miss it. So, before the death of Jesus Christ, you would see when you read scriptures... That he was usually called the only begotten. I think I've mentioned this a, a, a few times before. The only begotten. The Greek word is monogenes. M-O-N-O-G-E-N-E-S. What does monogenes mean? It means uniquely born. Right? Uniquely born. That's what it means. The one only of his kind. That was because at the time, Jesus was the only one who was Imago Dei. Perfect Imago Dei. Only begotten. Uniquely born. The only of that order. The only son of God. Are you with me? Let's, let's look at it. John chapter 1 verse 14. John chapter 1 verse 14. Everybody. 
The Bible says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory the glo- as of the glory of what? The only begotten of the Father. The Greek word only begotten there is monogenes. The only begotten of the Father. John 1, 18. Just go a few verses down. John 1, 18. It says, No man had seen God at any time. The only begotten, monogenes, which is in the bosom of the Father, had declared him. You see the reputation of God, of Christ before his death, of Jesus before his death. Monogenes, only begotten. Only begotten. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Only begotten. Again, only begotten. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We see the word used again, monogenes, only begotten. Two verses under, John 3, 18. The Bible says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten, monogenes, of God. You see the word used again? Only begotten of God. Hebrews eleven seventeen. Someone's looking at me like it's a half an hour. All these texts. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Now I added this here to show you that Isaac was also called the only begotten. And I told you before, the writer of Hebrews helps us understand the similarities between them. You know, we understand that in Abraham giving his only begotten, he was sort of like a shadow of the fact that God was going to later give his only begotten also. And then the Bible tells us that Abraham was literally going to kill the child, believing that God was able to resurrect that child. And Jesus was going to do the same as well. Are you with me? Resurrect is only begotten. So monogeny is only begotten. 1 John chapter 4 verse 9. 1 John chapter 4 verse 9. It says, In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his monogenies into the world, his only begotten into the world, that we may live through him. So, before his death, he was called monogenies, only begotten. But after his death, we see a different sort of title or description used for him. And that's what? That's Prototokos. P-R-O-T-O-T-O-K-O-S. Prototokos. And what does Prototokos mean? It means first begotten, firstborn. So, there was something that happened between when he had not died and now that he that he died and he resurrected that does not make him the only begotten any longer but makes him what the first begotten so before jesus was the only son of god but after his death he was no longer the only son of god are you with me yes, colossians 1 18 colossians 1 18 the bible says and he is the head of the body the church who is what? The beginning, the firstborn, prototokos from the dead. So listen, mankind probably had no hope. Jesus Christ in being the firstborn, the first begotten. That's why I told you that Jesus didn't only just come to die for our sin, but came as an example. Are you with me? Because when he died, 
you know, we see him as an example, a prototype. So he resurrected first, but because he resurrected, we also know that we will resurrect when we sleep. Are you with me? So sometimes you see the Bible call him first begotten from the dead. Sometimes you see the Bible call him first fruit. Sometimes you see the Bible call him firstborn. It's Prototokos. Revelations 1 5. Revelations 1 5. It says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and what? And the Prototokos, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins. Hebrews 12 23. Hebrews 12 23. It says, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to what? Spirit of just men made perfect. So he calls the church the church of what? Of the firstborn. It is the church of the firstborn. Church of Prototokos. So listen, why his reputation changed is that he is no longer the uniquely born again and the only begotten. He died as one, he resurrected as many. Are you getting what I'm saying? He died as an individual, he resurrected as a family. Do you understand? That's why when the Bible says, the Bible says, except a corn of wheat falls to the floor, it abides alone. He was talking about Jesus. He abides alone. But if he dies, what happens? It will shoot out many fruits. The death of Jesus brings about many of us to now become a part of God's family. So Jesus is no longer the only begotten of the Father. He is the first begotten because now he is not alone. I'm with him. You are with him. So the picture of Jesus sitting up there by the Father doesn't just have him. I see a long line of us sitting with him. We are souls. The Bible calls us heirs of the kingdom. It calls us heirs of the kingdom. Now we can call God Father. So listen to me. If Jesus is the perfect Imago Dei, every of us that follow him after that line now carry that same image. Mm. Are you following me? That's what all of this explanation is about. We now carry... So for a period of time... In being the image of God, mankind at at creation could function properly and could find it easy to commune with God. But sin brought a problem. But listen, now it's different. The new creation has an opportunity now because he's functioning at the same place he was, even better than at creation. He now carries the image of God, perfect image of God, which is made available through the death of Jesus Christ. Are you following me? Yes, sir. So now, fellowship and communion will come easy for you. This is the theological argument as to why it will come easy. <laughs> Listen, I know it, my body will respond to it. Mm. Are you with me? I know it. I know that I'm different now. My flesh doesn't have to control me. I don't have to feel sad doing the things of God, praying or studying. No, I was born for this. I was born for this. So listen, you were created in the Old Testament for it. Maybe sin distorted it, but now you were born for it again because you are born again. You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) You are born in Christ. So you were born for this. You were born for communion with God. You were born for fellowship with God. Listen, say I'm the image of God. I'm created to glorify God. Communion, fellowship, devotion comes easy for me. Say, I was born for this. 
Say, I was born for this. I was born for this. Say, that's my life. 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 Hallelujah. This is very important for you to see. I mean, the image of God. So now I can say, I'll be Margo Day. And as a Margo Day, the whole essence of my life is to give glory to God. As a Margo Day, communion comes easy for me. Fellowship comes easy for me. My priorities are realigned. If I'm not worshipping God, what am I doing? If I'm not praying, what am I doing? If I'm not studying, what am I doing? All things are and were created for your pleasure, Lord. So I'm created for your pleasure, to give you glory, to give you thanks, to give you worship, to live for you alone. I prioritize prayer because that's what I was born for. Every other thing outside obedience to you is, is alien to my nature. I respond to your will. It's the same thing. I respond in worship. I can't hear lyrics that give glory to God and be seated. No. I respond to your will. When it comes to the gathering of believers, I rush there because I was born for this. Any atmosphere that has vertical worship, where the worship is to God and God alone, I thrive best there. That's where I thrive. That's where I live. That's what I was born to do. It's in my nature. I find it easy. I find it easy. Can you just pray for a few minutes right now? I find it easy. This is a good time to just pray and declare that I find communion easy. I find fellowship easy. I find it easy. Devotion is easy for me. Devotion is easy for me. Devotion is easy for me. I'm the image of God. And so I was born for fellowship with God. Devotion to God is easy for me. Devotion to God is easy. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. So listen, what I'm talking about has nothing to do with how you feel. You don't feel like praying. That does not matter. Feelings has nothing to do with it. You are in Mago Day. You were born for it. Feelings are not feel. You are not led by feelings. Your identity is the image of God. That's what you are. Oh, feelings can be controlled by the flesh. But I'm the image of God. So I don't feel like it, but I'm still going to pray. Because feeling, feelings have nothing to do with it. I'll still give myself to it. I'll still give myself. It comes easy for me. That's what I'm going to do. My body might not resonate, might not want it, but hey, it doesn't matter. My flesh might not want it. Listen, my flesh. You you have to talk to your flesh. You are the reason you the flesh was the reason for this problem in the first place. So listen, you are going to be in subjection. Whatever you have to say about this matter has nothing to do with. I don't care. You are tired. 
I don't care. You don't feel like it? I really don't care. This is where I thrive. Prayer is what keeps me alive. So I'm going to do it even if you don't want it. I'm going to commit myself to it. It's my priority. It's my priority. I will do everything to make sure I do it right. It's my, it's my reality. It's where I am. Hallelujah. I have less than nine minutes. I'll just give you a few important things. I've given you a general idea of what devotion means. But there are just some few basic marks of devotion. If you are in a life-threatening junction, whether you would deny Jesus. And listen, if you are waiting actually for a life-threatening you know, junction where the, the difference will be either you will deny Jesus and they will let you live. Or you proclaim Jesus and they kill you. If you are waiting for that junction before you can understand what I'm talking about when I mean devotion, you've not gotten it right. It starts from the little things you do every day. The little everyday decisions. Are you with me? It starts from the little everyday decisions. Reading your Bible. Praying every day. A heart that desires communion with God. Are you with me? It starts with that. And listen to me, even if you don't feel it now, you can train your spirit to desire God like never before. Do you know you can train your spirit to desire God? If you train your spirit to not be able to live outside devotion a day, to not go a day without devotion, that's how it will be. How I know it's possible is that the Bible talks about something called sharing your conscience. That it is, it is possible for your spirits to constantly tell you something, I want to be with God, and you of your own volition will do otherwise. People who do that are what? They are desensitizing themselves when it comes to that. They are, they are removing themselves from the inclinations of the spirit. The Bible, talk, the Bible says, quench not the spirit. That means there are some things you can do that can quench it. So if you can quench it, then you can stir it up as well. Are you with me? Let me tell you the number one. Don't pass by any inclination to do the things of God. That's how you train your spirit. That's number one. Any inclination. If someone says, ah, are you not coming to fellowship? Ordinary flyer. Listen, every prompting you get to devotion that you let slide without doing it leaves you worse than before. Are you with me? It leaves you worse than before. Every opportunity to gather with believers and pray that you don't follow leaves you, it does something bad, something negative at least to your receptiveness or your reception of the things of the Spirit. So, if you don't feel like it, you can train your spirit. How? Set up structures. Start with the little decisions. Promise yourself that any opportunity to fellowship with God I find, I would not take it for granted. I would not let it slide. Even if I don't feel like it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do it until it becomes yes, your reality. Pray until you can't do without praying. Study the word until that's your reality, until you can't do without it. Even if you don't feel it now, you can train your spirit. A few examples. Oh my God, I don't think I can do this today. <laughs> I have like a lot of examples to show you in the New Testament. But time is far spent. So I'll just end the teaching here. I'll probably continue it in the next one. So, so listen. 
You can train your spirit. You can what? You can train your spirit. You can suppress the flesh and make your spirit receptive to those inkings. So you can tell your spirit, man, you can make sure you say it and say, I see, I live for God alone. I prioritize prayer, devotion, fellowship with God. Do you know that it is a seared conscience, as Paul describes it, that will make you take a job you know will affect your devotion and still be comfortable with it? Do you know that? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a seared conscience that will make you do that. What's the alternative? That there's no money available on time. Don't you trust in Jaira? Don't you trust in God's ability to provide for you? It's a seared conscience that would make, and you are not even disturbed. It's a seared conscience that will make you do anything that will tamper with your actual mode and structures you set for your devotion. And you, some of you, you don't even, it will not even disturb you at all. You not disturb you. You are, you are fine. You are fine. It has to be the center of your decisions. I told you guys, there's a way I think, and I think it's because of how I've trained my spirit. I took a house when I moved here. Um, can I tell you the truth? My, my actual salary cannot pay half of the rent of that house. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know why I took the house? So that I can have time to pray and space to pray. Has God been coming through for me in paying the house rent? Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. In the first place, I could not pray. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You didn't see me in fellowship for you. You will see me, but I'll just be whispering. <laughs> When I move the head, now we can break head on table and, <laughs> and pray. That was the first priority for me. Every other thing did not matter. Am I going to have my space to pray and talk to God and do ministry? Yes. Priority. Train your spirit. Just pray in the language of the spirit as we round up. Rate sombra telati